0: So good to be a part. Of it. Hey, let's do this. Let's pray, and then we're going to dive into scripture. If you've got a Bible, find your way to Jeremiah chapter twenty-nine. We're going to start there again today, um, and feel free to, to find your way there as I pray. But I want to take a moment and pray, and then we'll we'll look into scripture together. God, you're present here with us. We know that. Um, we experience it as we sing. We experience it as we hear uh, how you're working. Uh, through people as they give voice and give words to you speaking into their life and them responding to you. And so, God, we worship you in this place in this time. We worship you in our own hearts and our minds as individuals. We worship you collectively in this room and wherever we're at online, whenever we're listening. God, We acknowledge you as the creator God of the universe, and we call you good, and we have experienced your great power and your justice and your grace in our lives, and we ask for more of it. And Holy Spirit, we invite you to work and move right now. Would you uh, wake up our minds and help them to be sharp? Would you soften our hearts? so that they might actually be vulnerable to be moved and directed by you, healed by you, convicted by you. And so, Holy Spirit, we we give you permission to do that in this time and place. And Jesus, we declare in this place that you are king, that you are savior, that you've always existed and always will, that you are alive and that you love us. And so would you Guide and direct us now, would we be able to hear your voice as you lead us and teach us as we look to your word. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Read this together last week. Uh, It's kind of four lines. It starts uh, in this way. In a city known for self-reliance, loneliness, and cynicism, we are compelled by the love of Jesus to live distinctly different lives. We will contribute to a movement of courageous and resilient disciples who are formed by God's word, empowered by the Holy Spirit, and sent by Jesus. By 2025, we will equip and commission 500 people who break barriers, love neighbors, and uniquely contribute to more of God's kingdom coming in our city, in the Portland-Vancouver metro area and beyond. We dream of a day when every cynic knows the Savior, all the lonely find a family, and every activist joins God's mission. Through a months-long process of prayer and discernment and seeking God's voice and direction, God gave us these words, this vision, for the future of Mosaic about two years ago. In the spring of 2019, we went through an intentional three months long process of seeking God's voice and direction, and this is what he revealed to us and gave to us, a group that was both, we we called it a prayer team and a strategy team, and together we sought God's vision for where he's leading us. And we started sharing that with people in January of 2020. In this room, we had about 100 people, a little bit over that, of leaders that we shared this vision with and prayed through it. And then we had a date planned that we would celebrate it and all hear it together as a whole church. And as I shared last week, 72 hours before that, we had restrictions put in for COVID. And over the last 18 months, God has not only sunk this vision deeper into us as a church, but He's further clarified what it could look like for us to really truly live this out and embody this. To trust God for something that we certainly can't do on our own and trust that he's going to join us with many other churches to bring about more of his kingdom in this city and beyond. This is the vision that we believe God's calling us to. One of the things we didn't know at the time also, or maybe I'll personalize this to, to me specifically, is that it answers a question that was kind of rumbling around inside of us. Not these exact words, but this is a question. It's a question by an Englishman with the first name of Leslie. I don't know if you know any guys with the first name of Leslie, but this guy has a first name of Leslie. He's from England. He, spent, he and his wife spent 40 years in the country of India. And the reason they were in India for 40 years was because they were sharing the love of Jesus. And when they returned to their country of England, He phrased this question. If Western cultures have become post-Christian and if they've become post-Christian mission fields, how do the churches located in these cultures become missionary churches? It's no surprise to you, but on the coasts of our country of America, on the West Coast and the East Coast, there's a change that has been happening for several decades and we can see it happening more and more rapidly now. Culture is changing rapidly and we have much in similar to, to Western Europe and specifically to England. And as Leslie phrased this question is, how does followers of Jesus Christ, how do followers of Jesus Christ that are together in churches begin to change to reach increasingly post-Christian neighbors and cultures and people around them? The vision that God's given us as a church is an answer to this question. How do we become a missionary church? How do we become a people that are so in tune with Jesus and empowered by the Holy Spirit that God's using us in the lives of our neighbors and our coworkers and our family members who don't know Jesus in a setting and a time and a culture that seems to be changing rapidly and where the challenge of sharing Jesus with people around us feels more and more difficult. That God would use this church and other churches to equip and send people right where we already are. That we would be light and peace and truth and love in the name of Jesus for the people around us. One of the things we talked about last week, if you weren't here, was that we know that we're experiencing a change. And the pandemic is not the change. It's just indicating and revealing more of the change that's going on around us. And so one of the things that we're, we're lurching for and reaching for is... How do we live through a change? How do we remain faithful to who God's designed and called us to be? How do we stay following Jesus when so much is changing around us? And for an answer to that, we looked back into an Old Testament book, the, the book with the title of Jeremiah, which is written by a prophet, Jeremiah, who God gave words to. And Jeremiah was not a popular dude. I don't know how many of your friends have ever played a prank on you and the kind of prank that's not just funny for you and your friends, but it's the kind that's funny only for your friends. And so they're not really your friends in that moment. That happened to Jeremiah a bunch of times that the people that he was sharing God's word with didn't like what he was saying. And so they threw him in a well, a cistern, and left him there and wanted him to die. Jeremiah kept saying, things that weren't popular but he was saying things that were very very needed that often happens with prophets that God was giving him words and we looked into the the book of Jeremiah because in it we can actually see where God showed up for a people that were going through immense and rapid and significant and disorienting change and transition and God was proving faithful to them and giving them direction So I want to look into those verses quickly, and then I want us to jump somewhere else together. But let's look at these again together. In Jeremiah chapter 29, here's the the words that God gave to the people through Jeremiah. Verse 4 says this, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. That was the big change they were going through. As a nation, they'd been unfaithful to God, and God said, Here's my loving discipline, this much more powerful people and uh, army is going to come in and it's going to take most of you to a foreign land You're going to be away from the land that I've promised you you're going to be away from the temple Where you've experienced my presence and you worship on a regular basis away from everything, you know familiar and go to this very very foreign land Babylon From Jerusalem to Babylon and here's what God says to them build houses and settle down Plant gardens and eat what they produce Marry and have sons and daughters find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there and do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. God's saying this, no matter how much and how significant The change around you is, I am not changing. I am faithful. I am present with you. I've not gone anywhere. And his message to them is, so where you are, disoriented as much as you may be, unclear about what, what the future may look like as much as that may be. What I want you to do is settle in. Settle in. Unpack your bags. Build a house and settle down, plant, plant roots in there, literally plant a garden, make a garden, and not just make a garden and plant in it, but just know that you're going to be here long enough for you to harvest it and then eat it, and then for another season to go and harvest it and eat it again and again and again and again, plant a garden and make that part of your life, your rhythm, and grow a family. Don't hold back. Marry. Reproduce, have families, enjoy that. Plant a garden, build a house, grow a family. These are the three things that, that God says to do. And in and, and all that, what he's saying is he's saying, settle in, I'm with you, I'm not going anywhere. What I want us to do over the next couple of weeks is to use these three, what I think are wonderful images and symbols. A garden, a house, a family. I, I think they're wonderful because they're so common. We, we have all of those. You don't maybe have a garden, but you have a place where you go to, to get food. You know what it is that, that, that sustains you day in and day out. You know where you get that and what that's like and what you like. You live somewhere. It might not be a house. It might be an apartment. I hope it's not a tent. But you live somewhere. You have a place that you are. And God designed this for family. And maybe... You have a family right now, and you can identify it and you and enjoy it. Maybe you long for it, and you want one, and you don't have one. Maybe you had one, and now it's gone. But God has designed each and every one of us, not just for friendship and relationship, but to have a, a deep sense of family, of belonging. I think these three images, these three symbols, prompt these questions. I think the idea of a garden prompts this question of what sustains your life? What sustains your life? A house prompts the question of where has God placed you? Where has God placed you? Where is your place? And family, who are you with? And so I wanna work through these three images and these three questions that I think we all are asking at some level. We might not be aware that we're answering it or that we're asking it, but we actually all have an answer to it. We might not like the answer, but we have an answer. To each one of these and i think as we move forward and say god you're present in this change in this disruptive changing time of transition where so many things seem to be unstable god you're still stable and so i want to ask and answer these questions with you at the center of it i want us to look in a story of a young man that i help i think begins to help answer the question of what sustains us that question that i think a garden prompts And a garden is such a great, great picture. Their garden is is where Adam and Eve were created in first place, that God created a garden and invited them into it, and he invited them to be in his presence with him. And then as we know, if you read through the book of Genesis, if you're familiar with the story of God through the Bible, that they turned their back and said, God, we don't need you to sustain us. We're going to find something else that's going to be more important. The word that we find in Scripture over and over is an idol. Something else becomes more important than God. And their garden is threatened and they're out and they have to produce food on their own in a very very different way i want us to look at a story of a man who actually is residing in babylon when this story takes place it's in the book of daniel chapter one daniel chapter one it's a little bit to the right if you want to find their turn from jeremiah to daniel find your way to daniel in chapter one and for many of us this might be a really familiar story if this is the first time you're hearing this, this is a fascinating story and daniel is a fascinating character a bizarre city and an interesting time. Daniel is already in Babylon when, when the people that Jeremiah was talk, talking to ended up in Babylon. He'd already been there for a little while. Nebuchadnezzar was still the king and the ruler, and Nebuchadnezzar had already begun taking people from Jerusalem. And Daniel and three of his friends, who you might know more as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, um, they had names before that. They were renamed. But we find Daniel and his friends, because they were top of their class, because they were probably good athletes, because they were very popular among their peers, because they were sharp, because they were good looking, Nebuchadnezzar says, I'm going to take them and I'm going to bring them into Babylon and I'm going to treat them well. They're going to be exiles. I'm going to rule over them, but I'm going to treat them well. And so David and his friends are in Babylon and they're treated well. They're, They're put up in a nice hotel. They're given great food. But the reason that Nebuchadnezzar is doing that to him is because he is going to change the way that they think. He's gonna change who they understand themselves to be. And it says specifically in the first verses of Daniel chapter one, that he was gonna be taught language and literature. Language and literature. All of our favorite subjects in school, I'm sure. Language and literature. A second language, not, not Hebrew. They're gonna learn Babylonian. Or I don't know if that's the language or not. They're gonna learn their language, whatever they spoke in, in Babylonia. And they're gonna read their books. They're going to get inundated with that culture. It's going to educate them. And Nebuchadnezzar's plan was, if I can change the way that you think about the world and you think about yourself and what you, how you think the world works, then you'll be in my culture and you can, you can rule for me and I can send you back. And the values of Babylon will then become the values of Jerusalem. That was Nebuchadnezzar's plan. Here's what Daniel does. Daniel chapter 1, verse 8. But Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine. I don't know if that's ever been an option for you. If you're like, I have this royal food and wine in front of me, I'm going to not defile myself with the best food and wine that's ever been placed in front of me. But that's what Daniel says. I'm going to not defile myself with the royal food and wine. And he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself in this way. I'm sure that went over well. I don't want to defile myself with this amazing, perfect food in front of me. Now, God had caused the official to show favor and compassion to Daniel. But the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord, the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would then have my head because of you. So, if you don't eat this, you're not going to be well nourished. You're not going to look as good as the others that are your age and going through your same training and education right now. And when you don't look healthy i'm going to be the one responsible and i'm going to lose my head because i'm not fulfilling my job for the king daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over daniel hananiah mishael and azariah get renamed shadrach meshach and abednego that's those three guys verse 12. please test your servants for 10 days give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink then compare our appearance with that of the young man who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to this and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who had ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food, took away the royal food and wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. It is vitally important that we all understand very clearly, this is not a biblical teaching on vegetables. (laughs) Some of you really, really want it to be. It might be, we're just not sure that that's what this is all about. This is not about vegetables and water. This is not a statement about royal food, which I think we all know means meat and wine, okay? This isn't about the particular there. So if you're thinking like, oh no, I went to church today, and now I have to go home and eat vegetables. I'm not saying that. If your parents are saying that, that's, that's a different story. I'm not saying that. That's not what the point of this story is. This story isn't about vegetables and wine. This story is about trust in a very scary moment. And it's also about identity in a very confusing time. This is a story about trust where everything in Daniel's life had been changed. His address was changed from Jerusalem to Babylon. His routine was changed. There was no longer a temple that was at the center of their rhythm of their week and their days. Everything was different in Babylon. What they learned, who they talked to, where they slept, when they slept, what people looked like. Everything was different. Their education was reforming the way that they think about themselves and the world, and most importantly, about what was real, meaning who God was. Nebuchadnezzar, through their education, was trying to reframe how they saw the world and understand and lived in it. And the one thing Daniel started with was, I'm gonna eat differently. And it wasn't about vegetables and water versus meat and wine. You can make that case, and those are, I'm sure that's a good thing, is to eat more vegetables. What Daniel was saying is, I'm going to make the dramatic step to step out of your world and back into the world that I know is real and true. And I'm going to trust God with my intake of food. And it's going to be a display to you in Babylon that there's a God who is more real than anything that you're trusting in, than any idol that you're placing above him that any God that you have in competition with my God. And Daniel decides to trust. And what it does for him on an individual level and his friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is it begins to center their identity back into who God is and who God has said they are. Rather than trusting in the things around them, rather than trusting the culture and the way of being and the way of thinking. It was one way that they could reorient themselves and say, I'm gonna align my life with my God. And if my God is real and true, my body's not gonna look less than all the guys that are eating the meat and the wine. God's gonna show up and my body will look good in comparison to them. And that's exactly what happened. And so the officials and the rulers over Daniel said, no, you guys actually look healthy. You don't look like i thought you'd look he says okay you can continue to eat that and what daniel does is he carves out this space and he says the thing that keeps me alive the thing that tells me who i am the thing that allows me to live for god in this space is answering the question of what is it that sustains my life because it could look like a lot of other things it could look like some really royal meat and wonderful wine It could look like that, but what I'm choosing is to say, God, you are going to be the one that sustains my life. And so he carves out this space, and God affirms it and shows up and meets him. We're in Portland and Vancouver in the Pacific Northwest in the year 2021, and this all took place for Daniel about 600 years before Jesus arrived. We're in a very, very different time. We're not, in, we're not in Babylon, but we are kind of in Babylon. We're not in Babylon nearly 3,000 years ago, but we're kind of in Babylon today. We're kind of in a completely different world. We live and breathe. When we wake up and go through our days, we live in a world that is, that is counter to the things of God in so many ways. And we have to ask and answer the question of, What's my garden where's the place that i'm going to for my sustenance where's the food that i'm eating that reminds me of my identity and tells me who i am because everything around us is pointing in a way away from jesus and not to jesus in a way that says that we can make it on our own and that we can be and do whatever we want and if there's ever a limit put on that that's somehow unjust we're told that, that we can survive without relying on anyone else, that we can make it on our own. And we're on this fence at times where we go, maybe that's true, maybe there's some truth to that. And we have to answer, ask and answer the question of what is the garden that I've decided is gonna be my garden that I'm gonna go back to time and time again and say, this is what sustains my life. Because everything else around me is telling me a different story. In 2019 so two years ago maybe less than two years ago a couple guys got together and wrote a book on based on a bunch of data that had just been collected um, on on how our culture and specifically the digital reality of our world today shapes and influences us and the way that we think about ourselves and what is real and it's a book I've referenced before but it's the title of it is faith for exiles the subtitle is five ways for a new generation to follow Jesus in digital Babylon. <laughs> Listen to these quotes. I want to read three quotes for you. Put the first two up and then hold off on the third one. The first one says this, that we live in a culture that is increasingly indifferent and sometimes hostile to Christianity, to the Christian faith. If, if that's news to you, welcome for coming outside your house for the first time in 18 months or however long it's been. We know this. We know that, that we live in a culture that is increasingly indifferent. It, it just doesn't matter. The Christian faith just doesn't... It, 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 or even it's, it's not a good thing. It's a bad thing. Sometimes hostile. Babylon is both a place, historically, 600 years before Jesus, it was the center of the world. It was the most powerful people. It's both a place and an archetype of collective human pursuits set in opposition to God. Throughout the biblical record in the Old Testament, over and over and over again, Babylon is this place that's opposed to the people of God. Now, the people of God at times were opposed to God and disobedient. So it's not like they've got a perfect record. But Babylon is set up through the biblical story as this place that is opposed to God. Collective human pursuits set in opposition to God. (laughs) I love our city. One of the Reasons that at times it is difficult to love our city is because there's very little in our city that is oriented on and depended on and honoring Of Jesus Christ and the things of God We know this We live in a place where it's really difficult to be a follower of Jesus and to be faithful to the ways that Jesus is calling us to live and trust and obey him And to live out the things that he's written to us in this book before you put this up listen to this it's talking specifically about the digital reality of our world listen to this long quote close your eyes if you need to if it's helpful it's not going to be on the screen but it's talking about screens screens inform and connect but they also distract and entertain through screens ubiquitous presence they're all around us we know that Babylon's pride power prestige and pleasure colonize our hearts and minds. Pop culture is a reality filter. Websites, apps, movies, TV, video games, music, social media, YouTube channels, and so on, increasingly provide the grid against which we test what is true and what is real. Listen to that again. All the stuff that we look at and read that's coming at us through screens, is testing what is true and what is real. The media and the messages blur the boundary between truth and falsehood. What is real is up for grabs. You've no doubt heard terms like truthiness, fake news, post-truth, and alternative facts. All All these contests to define reality are features of the current Babylonian landscape. Screens demand our attention disciple I've read this quote before It was about a year and a half ago I think but I think it's so helpful and truthful and it reveals the the world and the experience that we live in where we live in a digital reality where we're influenced and we can be shaped by this there's not some cultural point person or cultural elite that is saying hey come to literature class and to language class so that I can shape your mind, like Nebuchadnezzar did to Daniel. But we're faced with this reality of trying to clear out space and say, I'm gonna turn all that off and say, I'm gonna decide what my garden is gonna be that's gonna sustain my life and it's gonna be the person and voice, and presence of Jesus in my life. And I'm going to go to that more and more and more because that's what I need to shape me. That's what's real, and that's what's true. And I've got to clear out space so that I can meet with him and hear from him above and beyond and stronger than everything else around me. We have to be able to answer this question. What is it that sustains my life? Because we're all answering it, whether we know that we're asking it or not. We all have something that defines us, that tells us who we are. We all have something that we gravitate towards, and sometimes those are really, really good things, and sometimes they are really destructive things. Maybe not immediately, but in the long term, because they redefine who we are. They shape our identity, and they retrain our minds and our hearts for what is real and what is true and what is good over and over throughout the Bible, we have this wonderful organic picture of who we are as human beings and how we function in this world, the system of our own being and how it works. Let me read this to you in uh, Jeremiah. It'll be up on the screen, but Jeremiah chapter 17 says this. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. In a salt land where no one... It says, if you trust in the things that humans create. It says, trust in the things of man. If, if you trust in the things that we're able to create as human beings, that the idols that we put up in front of our, ourselves so often and that we elevate and that we honor, ultimately that we worship. I love it the way that David Foster Wallace says it. If you don't know who that is, he's a, uh, he's a fairly prolific author, wrote one of the kind of best, most well-known postmodern novels. Uh, I think it was in 1996 called Infinite Jest, and unfortunately, David Foster Wallace struggled with depression for a long time and took his own life, I think in 2008, at the age of 46. One of the profound things that he said at a college graduation is that, and this is from a person, this is from a man who doesn't believe in Jesus, didn't follow Jesus, didn't have a faith to speak of that was defined or that he celebrated, but he said in front of college graduates at their commencements, he said, we all worship something. The choice we get is what to worship and be careful with what you choose to worship because most things in this world will eat you alive But we can't help it. We all worship something. We all long for something We look for something that fulfills us whether temporarily or eternally And jeremiah in chapter 17 is saying if you look at the things of this world, this is where it ends up Parched in a desert The next verse, verse seven. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in a year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. This is who we're called to be. And this is who we can be wherever we are. Daniel was this in a place that was utterly seeking to re-engineer who he was and who he thought. And he said, nope, I'm gonna clear out my space. I'm gonna eat vegetables and water, and I'm gonna remind myself that there's a God of the universe that promises to be faithful to me, even right here in the here and now. And so I'm gonna clean this place out. I'm gonna trust him. I'm gonna allow him to sustain me. And then I'm gonna go to literature class and language class and learn the best things that Babylon has to teach me, all the while knowing how it falls short of the God of the universe who loves me and knows me. This is who we're called to be. In a dry and parched land, we're to be flourishing and looking different and being different. And as God has given us a vision to be a people in a city and in a time and in a culture that lives distinctly different lives, we have to do it with utter reliance on who God is and dependence on the voice of Jesus in our life on a daily regular basis where he is the rhythm of the li- our life that we breathe in and breathe out where our roots go down and he's the stream that is supplying us the nutrients that we need and the life that we need Jesus says this John chapter 15 verse 5 I am the vine and you are the branches if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. God's called us to be his daughters and his sons and to be in tune with the voice of Jesus in our life. And he's inviting us to be a a church that's reliant on him and that the rhythms of our life are that, that we would remain in him, that we would bear fruit that we would be reminded that we can't do anything for His good in our own power. As we move forward, next week we're going to begin to look at this question of what it means to, to plant a garden, so to speak. To answer that question of if God is to sustain me, what does this look like? What are some rhythms that I can begin to put in my life? What are things that we can do collectively as a church that helps us to be this kind of people? But we know one of these things is that we come back to Him over and over and over again. And for us it's a regular weekly rhythm and that we remain in jesus by reminding ourselves of the good news that shapes our life and defines us and so we take this meal together this communion together on a regular basis they're reminded that jesus lived died was buried in a tomb conquered death and rose again and this is the story and the truth and the reality that shapes our lives and so if you've if you've got it at home if you've got uh, something to take a bite of and something, um, some juice, something to drink. Um, here in, in this room, we're, we're using these cups still. If you've, if you've not used this before, the trick is you push it down, the little tab down and then up. There's a little wafer on top, and then there's a the cup of juice. And so I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to take this together. Jesus. You call us to remain in you. You call us to be dependent on you. You invite us to be sustained by your voice, that you provide the food for our souls that we need. And so Jesus, this is a, a rhythm and a pattern that you've, you gave your first disciples and you invite us into to participate. And so we know that you meet us now in this place and in this moment as we do this as we take this this wafer this piece of bread this cracker that reminds us of your body broken and we take it and we taste it and we eat it and we drink this juice as a reminder of your blood shed for us as a promise that you're always with us that you never leave us so jesus we say that we love you and that we need you we seek to remain in you and with you at all times